there's one message inside that is uh, global outlook for banking and financial markets that matters in this conversation. Remember in the 1990s, when risk management started leveraging technology to create architectures for Basel 1, Basel 2, so complex calculations and aggregations of analysis and reports. Risk managers had this mantra. They said, every bank employee is a risk manager because risk management is the core of a financial institution. Now, today, I think we need to say every bank employer must be an AI risk manager. It's so important that we understand how AI works, the advantages, but also the uh, risks and the complexities uh, because we need to leverage this technology to transform the bank. And you see, it's not a battle of human and machines. I don't think AI will replace bankers, uh, but bankers who are capable of using AI will advance compared to those who can't. So everyone is uh, made responsible for their own benefit uh, to basically become an AI risk manager. Welcome back to Purpose Driven Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Moni Millares. In today's episode, Paolo Cironi shares with us in plain English findings of his most recent research paper, Global Outlook for Banking and Financial Markets, Regenerate Banking with AI where he surveyed 600 banking executives about how they are working with generative AI. 78% of financial institutions are tactically implementing generative AI for at least one use case, which means AI governance is a must-have. AI is not just a buzzword. We cover how generative AI can transform the banking and financial sectors, why risk, compliance reporting, and client engagement lead the way in AI potential most critical use cases, making financial services accessible. Communication as a service, which this is the first time I encountered this concept as such, skills we need to develop as an industry to adapt and thrive in the world of AI, and of course, a practical framework to manage AI risk and implement successful AI projects. If you enjoyed the episode, please go subscribe, give it a like, share it with your friends and reach out. I'll answer all your questions. Let's go for it. Hi, Paolo. Welcome to the show. It is a very exciting conversation that we're about to have. Monica, thanks for the exciting invitation. I'm happy to share with your audience. Thank you. And I think just for everyone, Paolo just published but I would say it's a book. It's not a report. You can see it's genuinely a book about AI and financial services as such. Here we have it. And what I really liked about it is that you can see a ton of short reports online today, but it sometimes it feels like it's just a lot of noise or it's just like repetitive and you feel a little bit lost. And what I liked about Paolo's report is that it is all in one page, very, not in one page, all in one document, very structured. It follows a nice sequence. It's easy to understand. It has case studies. So I thought it was worth going deeper into this conversation so that we can complement the book with your explanation as such. Thank you. Effectively, mm -hmm. uh, this is actually the 2024 global outlook for banking and financial markets uh, is, um, a series uh, that uh, uh, is published every year uh, from the IBM Institute for Business Value. I'm the global research leader in banking and financial markets. And uh, I tend to discuss uh, with my colleagues uh, the economic models of financial institutions uh, and uh, reflect upon the role of technology in that transformation. So 
this year uh, that uh, reasoning uh, is uh, intersecting AI and generative AI, but in the background, we always have uh, the economic model of banks because the technology makes sense when it is applied to a business a function or, uh, or a business need. Otherwise, discussing as abstract uh, will not add value to, to anyone in the industry. Exactly. Definitely. Before we go in detail into the conversation, this podcast is about how we can build better fintechs, more purpose-driven fintechs. So what's your opinion on how we can build more purpose-driven fintechs? It's a very important question. And the reason it is because I've been also authoring a business literature in my professional life and the latest one, Banks of Fintech on Platform Economies, starts from a foundational question and the question of value. What is value? If we don't define value, we cannot digitalize value. And I feel like many have a distorted or a not perfect understanding of what value is for the final consumers, first of all. And then out of that, how can we position technology and business opportunities, of course, to do a business, but bearing in mind that what matters is to create more value for the individuals. And what I also care about is that that value is not remaining at the level of the micro interaction. So fintech and consumers, banks and clients, but can also expand uh, uh, to the level of the ecosystem, which can be society or the economy overall. So I've been researching on a theory of value, my financial market transparency theory in principles is meant through that, uh, looking at the platform economy to understand how in transparent markets, uh, technology can help create value for the individuals in a way that uh, it basically propagates a sort of spontaneously uh, throughout the whole ecosystem. It's so complex these days uh, to have a perspective which is uh, open, um, uh, but uh, at the same time uh, allows to reconcile the privacy of individuals uh, with the need uh, for uh, uh, an entire ecosystem basically to fulfill the, the broader society uh, goals and scopes. And, and so I think that I'm addressing this in my literature. So value is, it must be at the core. We can have uh, slightly different definitions, but starting from there, uh, we basically understand that where we go to. And I think that this paper as well, uh, the Regenerate Banking with AI has uh, that uh, somehow embedded in, in the core because uh, it is a story about uh, humans, people, employees that interact on the platform economy with institutions, uh, regulators, in a way that the interaction between people and technology can basically generate more value for everyone. Yes. And then I'll just go straight to it because exactly the keyword is value. And I love, you're the very first guest that talks about value and the definition of value, because if we don't have a definition, then we cannot generate value. It's as simple as that. Yes. So now. It, we may have to explain maybe in another podcast about this, right? Uh, but um, if you think about, for example, what uh, banking can do through technology is uh, to eliminate the uh, friction in client journeys. Uh, and there may be different friction that can be realized uh, in different client journeys. One of the simplest one can be you pay with one click when you're on Amazon, basically use technology to enforce uh, payments, uh, which are instant secure uh, and added value for clients who don't have to otherwise spend time in, in doing uh, that element. But 
this deeper value that is part of uh, the industry that can be addressed uh, also looking at technology. And that is the, uh, basically, there's a knowledge friction. The majority of people has, have had the time uh, in making uh, financial decisions, which is the reason why banking uh, is uh, typically based on human relationships. And that's the reason why, even though the majority of consumers also reported in this report, currently like to engage uh, on digital medium, like mobile apps, uh, looking at their transactions, accessing their bank account. Uh, but then in the end, we also learned that is one thing is executing a decision or one is making a decision. So execution, a lot of people are asking for digital, but making a decision typically look at uh, human relationships, which are complex, expensive, uh, um, also bankers needs to be elevated. So now if the foundational value of the industry is to share knowledge among the parties, how do you eliminate the knowledge friction when you uh, respond to this question, you unlock the biggest value that the industry through fintech can basically generate. And, and, and from there, I start a particular email literature to discuss uh, the transformation of platform economies of advisory networks and so on and so forth. So, so that's where I'm basically landing to going to the core of the problem to enable people to self-direct themselves transparently, being in control and in being part of a fair treatment when they deal with fintech or financial institutions. Yes. And then I love that you talk about knowledge because now it's been a year, right? Since AI became, ooh, the buzzword, but now it's not a buzzword. It's a reality. And I think as a fintecher, I think we as a community, some of us talk about AI, but we really don't understand it. And many of the banks or the fintechs, we don't have the capabilities because we're banks, right? We were not AI technology companies. We are building the capabilities. So therefore, this removing the knowledge friction, I love that concept, removing knowledge friction becomes so relevant when it comes to AI. Monica, there's one message inside that is a global outlook for banking and financial markets that matters in this conversation. I started my career as a risk manager. I was head of quantitative risk management in capital markets for 15 years. Then I built a fintech that IBM bought us who joined IBM uh, some years ago. But I remember in the 1990s when risk management um, started leveraging technology to create architectures for Basel 1, Basel 2, so complex calculations and aggregations of analysis uh, reports that um, risk managers had this mantra. They said, every bank employee is a risk manager because risk management is the core of a financial institution. Now, today, I think we need to say every bank employer must be an AI risk manager. It's so important that we understand how AI works, the advantages, but also the uh, risks and the complexities uh, because we need to leverage this technology to transform the bank. And this is not a battle of human and machines. I don't think AI will replace uh, bankers. Uh, but bankers who are capable of using AI will advance compared to those who can't. So everyone is uh, made responsible for their own benefit uh, to basically become an AI risk manager. Definitely. That's a good message. So now let's go full on into the conversation. But before I do just a little bit of context, basically we go back. You just released the, your latest research that it's the Global Outlook for Banking and Financial Markets, Regenerate Banking with AI. And you surveyed 
600 banking executives, basically, on how they are using generative AI. There's, you added like some stats at the beginning of the report that says almost eight in 10 institutions are implementing generative AI for at least one use case. And basically what you just said, AI basically reflects concerns about risk and clients relationship and governance is a must have. So before we go deep, deep, deep into this conversation, can you expand what is the one takeaway that we need to take, to think about. And I think you just touched on it so we can go deeper. Something very important. Uh, of course, generative AI is just one part of AI. So the conversation could be broader in this global outlook. We focus more specifically on generative AI being the latest and greatest. So when it comes to generative AI, 86% of financial institutions worldwide are live or implemented to go live with at least one use case uh, that uses generative AI within risk and compliance, IT development, uh, and other support functions like finance, auditing, HR, uh, as well uh, as uh, um, client engagement experiences. But 8% only, I would say only of those have a systematic approach. That means they are working to implement uh, this technology across uh, all of the business domains of a financial institution. While 76% of the remaining are a bit more tactical. That means that they uh, are working on one use case here, maybe another use case there. So there's not uh, a, a single story that dominates, right? It's scattered all mm -hmm. around the place, a sort of where there is more sensitivity inside the institution, basically budget or interest, uh, they're, they're focusing there in a sense, right? Now, why does it matter? It matters because we're not talking about implementing one use case only. Uh, we're talking about uh, rebuilding the foundations with an architecture and a platform that allows uh, to be AI plus, starting from data and AI, basically to box out from the existing uh, complexities um, and intricacies and boundaries of uh, business models for financial institutions that leverage uh, fintech uh, in, in, in terms of evolving their, their model. So working on an individual use case uh, might make it hard also to justify the investment required to really manage this technology and manage this technology means uh, a governance, which is not just in uh, principles, but is grounded on architectures and platforms capabilities to interact with the problem. So I think that on the one side, uh, all the banks are working on it, uh, which is uh, very interesting, but on the other side, uh, the majority is still thinking too tactically to really reap the benefit uh, for everyone of uh, this new technology. Let's see how this unfolds uh, in 2024. We'll be curious to see at the end of the year how many modify their approach to become more enterprise-wide and uh, systemic. Yes, and then I think everyone, like you say, that this is me not based on research. <laughs> My assumption is that people are experimenting. Right. Oh, let's try here. Let's try there. But I think there's still not a clear understanding across all teams, across all levels within the financial institutions on what AI can do for us as financial institutions. So can you expand on what are these multiple benefits or multiple use cases on how AI can help financial services? Uh, that's actually interesting because AI is not a new technology. So generative AI only demonstrates the maturity of this technology. 
We've been also releasing uh, a piece of research uh, during World Economic Forum together with uh, the research unit of Barclays Bank, as well as Barclays and the Institute for Business Value of IBM paper, looking at the lag uh, between when um, innovation and technology occurs uh, and when the benefit is uh, generated on productivity on the overall ecosystem. So now, this moment in time uh, demonstrates uh, that the technology is maturing. So it's not anymore uh, the time for experimentation is the time for transformation with uh, this technology uh, at core as uh, the new steam engine, put it this way. Now, there can be, of course, a variety of uh, different uh, use cases where uh, financial institutions can generate value. I might talk more about financial institutions that cover a lot of fintech areas that individual fintech can see themselves inside this, this conversation. When we asked these 600 executives, all with responsibilities uh, and decision-making responsibilities with data, AI, strategy, they would see the biggest benefits. 32% of them, which is the highest number, said that risk and compliance. A financial institution is a risk management institution, right? And compliance is a typically a heavy burden. So in a sense, not surprised. And that is followed by client engagement. So the elements of communication with clients, which is also super important, and then IT development and the other support functions. Now that can be a ranking that uh, may correspond to everyone's perspective, or it's just the boss of the crowd. Every institution will have a, a different point of view. And the reason is because uh, it's not just about looking at value. Every value comes with its own complexity and its own risk. And complexity and risk can be very different according to the use case in terms of how much open it has to be, what type of data needs to be collected, how, if you like, exposed you are with technology in front of final consumers. So it's the combination of these three dimensions, potential value, complexities of organization, technology, and risk, that is security, bias, and hallucination that defines basically the trade-off between these three elements and therefore helps you understand uh, what it takes effectively to implement uh, on uh, a foundational governance model the technology in order to basically address uh, um, a final user. So that means the fact that the risk compliance uh, uh, corresponds to, on average, the highest potential value doesn't mean that is the easiest to be implemented, right? Sometimes higher value is more complexity. So all of these elements uh, needs to be considered. And uh, in this report, Regenerate Bank Media, we tried to initiate that conversation with the readers. Of course, it's just like preliminary elements because there's already 50 pages. You can't have everything inside, but I think it can inspire people in the way they think pragmatically about uh, this type of innovation and transformation. Yes, I like that. Think pragmatically. <laughs> so when it comes to compliance, can you give us examples of how we can apply AI? Okay. So let's say generative AI can do a variety of things, but the one that is more flashy that everybody sees is of course talking, right? Is lang is the large language model. So is the make believe of human language, right? That is strikingly advanced. Now, compliance is based upon a huge corpus of information that needs to be read, understood, uh, reports that needs to be basically uploaded, compared. We already saw the capability of 
AI in terms of the more traditional models uh, to work with document ingestion with large language models and generative AI that is uh, basically elevated uh, significantly. And so you understand that the way you can interact uh, with that complex uh, domain uh, now is, um, is much, much uh, more advanced than what it has been in the past. It's, it's like the, the capability of the technology moved uh, a bit at the time, then pop, jumped up like this. So in terms of compliance, that's one of the typical uh, cases, uh, which is basically understanding and, and optimizing uh, the um, streamlining, the access to documentation and the understanding the comparison upon all of these. Then once you're inside that one, um, you have other elements, which are fraud, anti-money laundering, which are not just compliance is actually a foundational element of uh, financial institutions act. And that is where you see that generative AI can play both sides of the game on the one side. You can better understand what goes on in a complex system based off of multiple communications, but on the other side, that actors could also leverage technology for the make-believe, so to impersonate individuals and stuff. So, so there's a lot of catch-up game here where you know that um, those people out there uh, that have bad intentions uh, tend to be more motivated to innovate fast compared to the others, which needs to be more, um, uh, if less thoughtful. Um, so it is important that all of this is addressed now because people are acting on both sides of the equation. Yes, that's, yes, that is very true. We also need to think the bad guys are. And one, one data point that amazes me watching the works during the World Economic Forum is in a panel, the CEO of JP Morgan Chase Asset and Wealth Management said that how many hacking attempts happen and go unsuccessful every day attempts to break into the JP Morgan Chase system. You know what the number is every day? Is no it idea. more than 1 million? Yes. Is it more than 100 million? Oh, Is no. it more than 1 billion? She said 45 billion hacking attempts per day, and that's twice as much as the year before. Now, of course, that means uh, there's a lot of automation here happening, right? Uh, and maybe not necessarily for private actors, which might have a different perspective, not just an economic uh, perspective. All of this is super important on our digital economy. And, and therefore we know that some people might want to use technology in a better way. We want to use technology in a good way also to preserve the value that, uh, uh, we are creating. Every banker must be an AI risk manager, period. Yes. And then this makes me think everyone needs to think about regulation, right? Like we're regulated entities. So now, of course, I'm assuming all the regulators will start asking different questions, e.g. how are you protecting yourselves about super automated attacks now that you use this example? Or maybe we're giving evidence for the compliance report, but it was AI generated and they are like, how do I trust that your AI generated system is doing a good job, basically? How do you think that conversation with regulators will start changing? That's always a dynamic conversation. In this respect, yeah. I believe that the industry has uh, the responsibility to be at the forefront of that conversation, right? And so basically not just to, to leave it, but to start it because it's important for everyone's happened. 
also when uh, risk management made the first steps forward. Regulation without uh, a clear cooperation among all the parties uh, can become uh, a bit hard to, okay, and illogical. And it's not the fault of regulators per se, sometimes it's a complex domain. And I think the industry has the responsibility to make sure that in an open discussion, all parties basically find that the element in common and that element in common is to make sure that a good work is done for the value of consumers in a secured way. And that's it because that pays out anyway in the long term for everyone. Yes. And talking about the final consumers, I think us as fintechs or as financial services, it's our responsibility. That's why we exist, right? To help people have better lives with money. Part of that is accessibility. And part accessibility can be defined in many ways. One of them is make it easy for everyone to use whatever we're using, whichever service it is that we're offering. Make it easy. It can be a delicate uh, expression. So make it understandable. Okay. So that's why it has to be transparent. Sometimes uh, a friction is needed to allow people to think. Because if you think about elements like an operator, maybe it goes too fast. Okay. True. So True. The, the point, however, is uh, what is that friction about? What is that moment of reflection? What type of value it creates? As long as it is transparent and allows people to understand more what they're doing, that uh, means that uh, we're all going into the right uh, direction. Okay. So it's a collective effort for, for everyone. But then at the same time, uh, sometimes it's too hard for people to do that right there in simple terms. So that's when technology allows you to access concepts, information, and ways of looking at a problem that otherwise you would be precluded from, right? So it's, it puts you more in touch with the problem that you have to resolve. Mm -hmm. So just to build on that, how could then AI help us? improve the customer experience such that it has the right level of friction. Okay. So let's start from uh, a more abstract, if you like, uh, so without getting into the details, uh, to, by representing how banks have been investing in technology to address uh, a digital experience uh, in the last 10, 15 years. So let's say that uh, 10, 15 years ago, all banks started discussing the fact that they needed to be more proactive online and definitely as this maps form came to life to be on mobile. So mobile technology is a digital technology by definition. I think the first thing that most banks have discussed was how can I power up the mobile app in a way that it works fine. So that became primarily a shift to cloud. Okay. So mm -hmm. you need to use cloud because now you're operating with mobile apps in very different ways that of uh, allowing for access to on-prem technology. So it's a cloud discussion. At the very beginning, banks were very concerned about cloud. They learned also regulators that can do that, so they accelerated. But just lifting and shifting uh, a banking experience on cloud, that doesn't mean that you're delivering a good digital experience. And that's when the understanding that the data was relevant to make it more personalized uh, became an everyday discussion. So that is when artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, uh, sometimes deep learning, natural language programs. So that type of more traditional AI, if I can call it this way, came to the forefront of investments and discussions. However, there is still a complexity here or a delicacy. Not only the net promoter score of banks has really improved significantly and is 
is concerning. It's not top of, of the industries, but the majority of people have had the time of interacting for the most important decisions with a digital medium. As I mentioned before, and let me reiterate it, what is digital technology, my iPhone or your Samsung? This is a technology of the demand. People don't go on Amazon to see what happens. They go there because they want to buy one of my books and they can also likely find for free this report that should be an Amazon link. But the most important actions, which respond to the most important revenues of financial institutions operate in an offer-oriented framework and an economy where banks are pushed to clients, insurance pushed to their clients' financial products. And, and their capability is some, somehow to overwhelm me because people have had the time and understanding, right? So now, if you want to elevate people to use digital technology with a good experience to be more autonomous, what you need to do is to create better element of communication. And that's when you see that now we go from cloud through traditional AI into generative AI because generative AI is about the communication. Of course, we need to make sure that every communication element is framed within clear transparency and compliance framework in a way that the people are not, if you like, hallucinated or that you don't generate if you're missing out. That's always important. But in any case, that was the missing point. And now we start to see that it is coming to life, the possibility to personalize through communication, the decision-making necessity of people when they interact with a mobile app and they don't necessarily have another type of interaction with a banker. Still some work to be done, but for the first time we see that is basically conceivable. Okay, so I have a very basic question. As I was reading through the report, there's a section that you talk about communication as a service, and you also make reference to decision-making. And I was like, oh, I'm a bit not confused, but I was like, oh, it's the very first time that I hear the term communication as a service, especially within financial services. So if I paraphrase, let's see if I understood correctly. If I paraphrase what you just said, it's basically communication as a service allows us to use all the information that we have about customers, all the capabilities that we have, such that we create better understanding from a customer perspective on what are the interactions that they are having with us as financial institutions and with their money. I would say on both sides. So the uh, researchers of the European Central Bank a few years ago wrote a paper titled uh, Financial intermediation with technology would solve what's new. It also leveraged in my banks of fintech on platform economies to create the banking invention of quadrant taxes. What they said is that financial institutions exert market power when they excel in information and communication, which are the two axes of the quadrant. So what's information, what's communication? Information is about all the data about a client that typically reside in the core banking of an institution. You can think about the adverse selection. So basically identifying uh, who is awarded uh, for credit and for how much, or uh, information about payments and transactions around payments uh, that basically identify elements of knowledge around uh, the customer. And if you think about in particular, the European banks, but you can expand across the world as this is a mega trend, but in, in Europe and in Japan, banks had a harder time in generating business value through information, the core banking elements, because of very low interest rates, uh, very high credit risks. So now interest rates go up, the credit risk increases, so it's more complex. 
So that's when the European Central Bank researchers said that there is a shift that is clear in Europe that moves from information to communication. Communication is people talking to people. It typically goes around the more complex decisions for your um, loans, right, mortgages, or investment products for retirement, for, for opportunities, or insurance. It can be life insurance or something else. They typically are very asymmetrical because the domain of expertise uh, um, is much larger and deeper, and it requires more, if you like, thinking. And that thing typically is done people with people, right? So now it is difficult to scale up that communication element. And how do you basically allow all of your uh, network of employees working in a bank to be elevated enough in order to make those conversations in a way that uh, are effectively impactful and get it through? So now the community, if you like, systematization of communication has always been complex because it's human related, but now they can be elevated. And I'm not saying really it has to be substituted because there's a lot of these cases where employees can be helped basically to have a better conversation with the customers because they are elevated to understand faster, to master the domain of expertise. And that's where communication as a service becomes important, if you like. It is where uh, the bank also addresses uh, the, the bulk of the most complex decision-making that can happen in society at the micro or the macro level. Can you, sorry, I, I followed most of the conversation except the last sentence when it comes to decision-making. Mm -hmm. Can you re-explain slash paraphrase the bit of how communication as a service helps with decision-making? Okay, let me tell you the biggest problem that many fintech had is that they misunderstood the capability of people to self-direct themselves. So they misunderstood the role of human relationships. And I can do this in a very simple way. Looking at the, the main business model of a bank, there are four areas, payment, credit, investing, and insurance. And I mentioned them in order of asymmetry of information, so the complexity of the decision-making. Payment is very simple. Uh, you click and buy your Gucci bag, so as long as it is convenient or fast, you do it. That's why the biggest unicorn in fintech started in payment. It's the paytech, right? It's a volume business. Actually, it should be an uber volume business. Take it. The second next to this one, which is still fairly symmetrical, is credit. And it is fairly symmetrical because you get money, right? And so if I tell you, Monica, go to my IBM.com slash IBV, where the host my IBM papers, click on the first page, and uh, I will give you $1,000 uh, free of uh, fees, zero interest rates. You give like, the money to me whenever you want. You may do it. Many people may do it, but maybe some of my IBM colleagues as well. And I'm not sure about the credit worthiness, right? It becomes a big risk margin problem, unsecured lending, buy an operator, Goldman Sachs with Marcos that made that mistake. It's not about giving away money, right? But it's giving away money in a way that is good for people. You understand the risk about that because some people will have problems in, in the end, but it becomes a bit more complex. But still people can go on it. Credit tech was the next to follow because people get the money. But when it comes to investing, it's a very different problem. Let me say, go back to the website, click on it, and you will give me 1,000 of your dollars, and I will invest that into a model portfolio made of cryptocurrencies, European stocks, and Chinese stocks. Now, many people in the audience will ask, is it true that Paolo worked in quantitative finance, the red books and portfolio theory? So there is a gap, right? People need to trust them. They may, not have, they may have a hard time, the majority of people, to understand how to make the decision. So they need to trust the conversation. They need to trust people when they make the decision. And that's the reason why, typically, that is not 
a mobile thing. The execution maybe, but the decision-making process requires trust among humans. And I give you the easiest example, which is insurance, the most asymmetrical of all, because it's not even about risk, it's really about uncertainty. Think about life insurance. Monica, I want to sell to you a life insurance contract. So I wanted to tell you that you're going to die. Now I'm sorry for that. And I guess you might not want to have that conversation with ChatGPT. you prefer to talk with me, right? <laughs> so that means that when we get deeper into your facing uncertainty, which is the core of banking, that is when communications or relationships become more and more important. Mm-hmm. Now, even though communication can now start working on, sorry, technology, I said working on communication, still the human element is foundational for that, for bridging that trust gap. But many more human conversations can be elevated, right? In a way that they are accessible for, for people. And that is really the hard part to be digitalized. And that's the reason why it is not so easy to digitalize uh, investing in insurance compared to payment and somehow credit. Past, if you like, uh, auto insurance, if it's compulsory, it's compulsory. Still, 90%, if I'm mistaken, of Italians still prefer to talk to a broker. And in our research, we identified the reason why people act this way. Only in the UK is the most uh, advanced market in terms of mobile access uh, 60%, if I'm not mistaken, of uh, consumers buy out insurance, which is compulsory, more or less or equal, online, uh, instead of talking to a broker, but still a large percent of them talk to people. There are elements, some of the reasons that revealed those in this regenerative banking with the AI paper, and they're worth understanding because that's where the next frontier lays uh, in terms of uh, digitalizing financial services, mm-hmm. communication. Thank you. Thank you for expanding because now I, like, now I understand. Thank you. And I'm sure listeners will understand as well. So I want to change the conversation a little bit and move away from customers and tech and move back to people, like the people Mm -hmm. working in financial services as such. So there is this conversation of fear and opportunity at the same time. Fear that you will lose your job and opportunity that will it make, make you a superhuman. So what we could have the debate like <laughs> i am more of the it will make you a superhuman you have to embrace it <laughs> that's it but uh, you talk about reimagining the workforce experience as such boosting productivity and rebalancing costs what does that mean first of all uh, of course technology like every technology intersects uh, the way we work and in some cases transforms it to basically replace it, right? So things that we were doing before, I, I hand up, we now do in a different way. But I do believe in the majority of cases that it is not that AI will uh, replace bankers. The key point is that bankers who can use AI will advance more and faster than bankers who cannot use AI. The same. Now everybody asks you, whatever level of um, job you want to have, if you know how to use Excel, right? So some elements becomes uh, if you like, uh, in and out. So learning how to use AI makes a difference uh, among people and people that don't know how to use AI basically will be recruited from opportunities. When we look at uh, the economic model of banks, uh, we looked at uh, globally, uh, okay, all banks with more than 50 billions of, asset under man- of total assets, um, 
the operating expenses uh, have been growing over time. There's also an inflationary element, but effectively they've been spending more. But the portion of money which is utilized for employees compared to the one invested in technology grew as a percentage of uh, this basket more than the technology one. And I think it's important because it's about people, but that uh, creates always a tension in institutions because uh, how much can you turn efficiency into cost reduction as the cost income is really unsustainable for, for many banks out there. And so the point here is where can technology allow people to contribute more and better uh, to the success of the institution, uh, also as an element of uh, self-fulfillment. So all of those elements are important that are at play when it comes to unlocking the value through technology, technologies such as uh, generative AI. Now, there is a, a very interesting data point inside uh, this uh, global outlook um, that I wanted to reveal here in this podcast. Um, uh, we've been asking as the IBM Institute for Business Value of 3,000 executives every year since 2016 about uh, which are the skills uh, which matter the most for the workforce. And we identified 14 of them. And uh, in 2016, the top two were uh, STEM, mathematics, engineering, uh, high-level computer science, and basic IT skills. And then were followed by down creativity and other elements like uh, team uh, workability stuff. We asked the same question in 2023 and where uh, STEM skills rank? Way lower. 14. Ooh, <laughs> There's always a way, right? When I say that yeah. and now, and people think that, oh, an engineer is not creative. So creativity goes up and creativity is still there in the mid of uh, the, uh, the ranking. Uh, what went up is the ability to prioritize the result complexity and team workability. Why is that? This is not to be seen as a static picture. It's a flux, right? It's not that STEM is not important, but I think that the industries are realizing that if they don't resolve the complexities of the way they work before, adding new talent will not move the needle. Actually, this talent will not will be precluded from contributing. Many times people say, I'm frustrated. I was hired. I had this ambition, but then I cannot work. And the same goes with advanced technologies. If you don't resolve the complexities of the operating model, you can plug in more technology, but you may not resolve it. Actually, you can even reach an, an event horizon we're saying in this paper very fast. You add capabilities to develop on complex systems that they lost causality from their origins at the original business purpose. What happens? You can even go faster in building complexity. So it is super important that the operating model discussion is at core of this transformational moment, because only by addressing those, the rest can go. That's why I think that there is a, a higher request for understanding how to prioritize, how to work in teams, how to plug in those capabilities that start transforming the core of the complexity of the operating model so that the rest can effectively add value. For the good or for the bad, everything is on the table. Okay, the old uh, moving parts, uh, so nothing is, is left behind. Everything needs to move at the same time. Yes, and I think that's something that we all need to be comfortable with. Uncertainty and change, because it's just accelerating. The pace of uncertainty and change is just, it used to be just for fintechs, early stage. Now it's everywhere. Yes, the global outlook 2023 was... Uh, Certainty is uh, the only certainty. 
in essence, yes. right? Uh, uh, also on the global stage. What matters is uh, to be transparent as much as possible because transparency builds trust, right? You will not resolve uncertainty. So there is always, there will always be question mark open, but when you know transparently what is the effort, what everybody wants to do. So then you're more inclined to participate, right? And to contribute. Otherwise you feel left out and that's not good. Nobody should be left out. No, exactly. So I'm very conscious of time. This is a fascinating conversation. Probably it should be like a three hour podcast. But then if we think about, you use the word pragmatic at some point in the conversation. If we are like, okay, right, listen to you guys. You've been talking for almost an hour. Can you give me a summary? What are the steps? How can I be pragmatic? And what can I take back to work when it comes to thinking about implementing AI? How do I exactly simplify the complexity, work with the team? How do we do that? Okay, so first of all, we said that every banker must be an AI risk manager, right? So, and that is needed because the risk management, the governance is work end to end. There are four principles and that matters. First of all, bankers have to manage for value more than ever. They ask themselves where value can be generated by the application of technology. Then they have to manage for complexity of the innovation. Sometimes it's not feasible or it's very complex to implement it for a few reasons. Technology, maybe you don't have a data access that matters. Maybe you cannot create transparency across the algorithms. Maybe you have an organizational complexity. So you have to change the way people work and you're not ready for doing that. And then you have to manage for risk because cybersecurity first. We are expanding the vulnerability space. So we need to make sure that we also plug in the capabilities to make everything more securely. And on the other side, uh, there is always the risk of uh, bias and hallucination, especially when technology is used and it can go viral. So they need to be considered first. So managing for value, for complexity, for risk enables to do the four, to manage for scale. Because as we said, this is not just a use case by use case uh, is about AI plus, so putting AI and data at core to change the way we work, to unlock everyone's potential, talent, uh, employees, uh, clients uh, to participate into the banking journey. So we crafted uh, a 10 uh, uh, guiding actions, if you like, chart that basically helps to visualize and conceive what has to be done every year is like a recursive process and uh, looking at AI some example of GDI, but it's everywhere. Um, because first of all, there is always an element of exploration uh, to understand that the priorities uh, that the bank has, uh, again, is not technology in, early, in isolation. First of all, which are the priorities of the bank and how AI intersects those priorities. Then is about how to integrate uh, at core uh, data and AI inside the operations uh, is not uh, a use case in isolation. You can start with, but you need to understand quickly how basically you can uh, uh, work on it systematically by allowing some space for maneuvering in areas which are a bit more uh, on the frontier. There is always something which is a bit more on the frontier, right? That they cannot fit the process of standardization. And so is, that's where effectively you learn by making and you need to create a feedback that enables you to quickly understand how you can further improve uh, your governance and your architecture. And then it's when you start scaling uh, with AI, basically get into an AI plus framework. So it becomes a scale up approach where 
you are building in progress your AI factory. That means you elevate every colleague to understand AI, the risk management of AI, and now to risk manage with AI, and then you ground it on a platform that enables you to further contribute uh, and to restart the process to make it better, better. It's a continuous process uh, of building culture. It's just that uh, the operational culture now starts with AI and not, uh, it's not executed with AI only. Yes. Thank you so much for explaining basically the book in plain English and words. I think it makes a great compliment. You should even think about having the audiobook, not like reading the book, but explaining it in your own words, because it brings it reading to life. Reading research as a, a service. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Because it brings it to life in such a different way. It's, oh, I read it, but I it's complex. It's new concepts. It's new language. But then speaking with you, it's, oh, now I understand better. So it, I love this conversation. Thank you. So I'm grateful for this opportunity. Everyone can download a free copy of our research. It's on the IBM.com slash IBV, and then there will be the banking and financial market pages. I hope you can also add the link to this podcast. Definitely. And I invite everyone to listen to this podcast. Monica's podcasts are the greatest and latest in terms of understanding technology and business transformation. So happy that I can do this uh, reading together here with you and your audience. Thank you. And I'm even actually, I am creative <laughs> and I like studying. So I'm even thinking, hey, I'll create a mini study group so that we go through, we read the book, we go through the podcast, and then we discuss. Monica, Monica that word you use resonates to me. People don't have time to read anymore. Even platforms like LinkedIn became very short posts, not articles anymore. In the media, you've got the image, everything shrinks to the limit of a tweet. Yes. But reading is important. And you know what? Even people that read and not necessarily study, yes. but it is about studying as well, dividing yes. element and element, getting a deeper understanding. That's why I always like to share printed copies of the material because I think that Again, the reading on paper slows down and we need to find time to study. That means slowing down our interaction with the problem. It is super important. I think a bit of a friction, slowing down our reading time yeah. adds value because we all decided study, don't simply read. Yes, no, totally agree. That's what I've been doing lately. That is my previous book. It's, I bought the book, highlighted the book, and now I'm taking notes about the book. I'm studying the book. <laughs> so I think I'll do the same with your book. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure having you in the show, Paolo. One very last question. This is the universal question that I ask at the end of this podcast that by now it's becoming a tradition. So if you could change one thing in fintech to make fintech better and have positive to customers, staff, and investors, what could that be? Don't think as a startup, think as a scale-up. Because this is not about optimizing venture capital money. And I know it's difficult because you need money, so typically you have venture capital money. This is about contributing to the transformation of banking, which is a core industry that goes across every other element in our society. If we can make banking better, I'm sure that uh, we can improve uh, the quality of uh, all of our other economic uh, ecosystems, but that requires a scale-up mentality, not just a startup mentality. 
Definitely. I love it. I, I also think about that all the time, that it's money touches every single industry. That's why it's so important. So that's why we have people passionate about it like you and I and many <laughs> others. It's like we count. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Paolo. Thank you so Thank much, you very much, everyone. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Your time and energy means a lot. If you want to support the show, remember to give it a follow and DM me to get in touch. I promise I do respond.